Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the privilege that we have of, of coming t- out here to this wonderful campground and, and learning more about uh, agriculture and, and how to live closer to the plan that you originally had in mind for us. Fathers, we look today at, at our online marketing course. We ask that you be with us. Uh, if guide and direct us and help us to keep you in mind in everything we do. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Come on in. Just in case you wanted to be sure, you're in the online marketing class, and it's scheduled to last seven hours, and we are going to cover a lot. You are not, by any stretch of the imagination, going to be an expert when you leave. We're barely going to scratch the surface. Um, we'll, I'll give you an overview here in just a minute. I do not have a handout for you. However, I will email my slides and notes with resources and links to you. Uh, and maybe at one of the breaks here, I'll get a page, piece of paper together and you can write down your email address. Um, for those of you who are listening on the recording, uh, the Audioverse recording, if you would email me at davids at centerforonlineevangelism.org, David S, as in sharp, at centerforonlineevangelism.org, and I'll be happy to email the, the notes and slides to you as well. Okay. Who am I? Why should you listen to me? This is the spot where I get to brag about myself a little bit. And really, it's, this is not that I'm such a great person as much as it is I've outlasted most of the people around me. So uh, I've had the opportunity to learn an awful lot. All right, I've been in marketing since the early 1990s. I started working with a direct mail uh, manufacturing firm. We sold security products all over the world. And I was involved in marketing and moved into the copywriting, writing the marketing materials for the company and for the catalog. In 1995, I quit that job and started my own web development company. This was about the time that Netscape, for those of you that have been around, if you remember Netscape, it was a, for those of you that weren't even born then, that was a, uh, that was one of the early browsers. Uh, so this, this is what started the World Wide Web. The World Wide Web part of the internet got started right about then. And I was really excited about web pages, websites. The problem is, is uh, nobody else even knew what it was. So my first, <laughs> my first venture in online marketing and, and being in business for myself was an absolute failure because I got sick and tired of trying to convince people what, why you needed a website. They didn't even know what it was. So it was kind of an interesting experience, but I hung in there and was able to uh, go into copywriting. Uh, in case you're not familiar with that term, it does not mean the legal copyright, uh, you know, like copywriting books and, and so on. It's writing marketing copy, the text for marketing materials, sales letters, web pages, and so on. 
I got back into website development and uh, ended up getting involved with uh, a lot of WordPress uh, websites, and we'll be talking about WordPress here in a minute in case it's not familiar. And I've gotten into email marketing, which is one of the most uh, effective forms of marketing online. And I've owned and operated several businesses in between all of this, some manufacturing, information publishing, and, and other online marketing services. Currently, I'm a licensed HMA business consultant. That's hidden marketing assets. I, I don't do that a whole lot anymore because my other work takes full time, but it just means that I'm capable of coming in and looking at a business and diagnosing things that need to be fixed, added, changed, and other other uh, little things to do to, to improve the profitability, the bottom line for the business. I'm a certified search engine optimization copywriter, which means that I, I have learned and demonstrated some level of competency of the intersection between search engine optimization and copywriting. And again, some of these terms will go into more depth here in a little bit. I'm the technical director for the Center for Online Evangelism. We are an independent ministry that helps Adventist churches and schools and ministries with their online presence. And we, we have a variety of services ranging from helping them get better positioning in the search engines to having more effective websites that engage with their visitors. My gardening interests. You ought to know that I do have a few gardening interests. I'm not just an online guy. I grew up on a five-acre micro farm in Washington State. We had 40 fruit trees, about, uh, about an acre in vegetables, and then about 1,000 feet of raspberries. And I can tell you that by the time I graduated from academy, I hated raspberries with a passion. To this day, I can't eat them. <laughs> but it was a, a great experience. I'm a certified master gardener, although the certification has lapsed. Uh, I worked in the extension office in a county in Washington State as their master gardener coordinator and the master gardener or master composter program coordinator. I've had permaculture training and I've been involved in several school gardening programs, primarily elementary schools. At one time, I was a publisher for the Microfarm Journal. It was an online publication, and I'm going to be reviving that here in the next six months or so uh, because I see a lot of people interested looking online for information about small-scale farming. Uh, in fact, according to the National Gardening Association, the vast majority of people who are involved in gardening in the U.S. are in suburbs, so they're dealing with very small-scale uh, operation uh, gardens. You know what they can fit in their backyard, and so they're looking for ways that they can improve their. The, the term now is nutritional independence, and so they're looking for ways that they can can uh, grow their own food, even in the suburbs. And my interests, of course, school gardening, experimental gardening. I like to to learn as much as I can about the the uh, intensive yield, high yield methods, and forest gardening. Okay, that's enough about me. Who are you? So let me get a sense so that I know what to, how to tweak what I'm going to tell you today. What type of operations 
do we have here in the room, people representing here in the room? Just pop up and tell me how big is, do you have a farm? Is it, how big is it? Is it a garden? Are you just interested in it? Let me know so I know how to tweak what we're talking about. Richard is, I'll, I'll get, your, get you his contact information, but Richard is working on, we're, we're part of a kind of a council that, that he's put together for lifestyle centers and to help uh, lifestyle centers become an outpost you know, for, the, for a local community. And it's going, he has some lifestyle programming available then, and I believe Darren Greenfield is working with him on some of the agriculture aspects. We're bringing in the online marketing aspects so that the lifestyle centers that become, that are participating can uh, have a little more effective marketing in the communities they're targeting. So it might be a good resource. R-A-M-O-S. And I think, I'll have to double check, but I think his, I think he's at outpostministry.net. I think. Is that part of OCI? OCI is part of the, part of the, uh, I don't know, it's a council coalition, whatever the, the group that's, it's kind of a loose-knit group right now. But they are involved. So. Resources are always helpful whether you actually need to use them or not, yes. Okay, so we have kind of a range. Uh, any market gardeners? CSA type stuff? Okay. Um, wholesale? You're, you're doing wholesale, you're doing wholesale. Um, let's see, what other type of operation would, would we be... Anything that's not been covered, I guess I should ask. My dad's a compulsive gardener, so. Compulsive. <laughs> okay. He's trying to sell, you know, can't eat everything. You can and breathe. And you've actually got something there, and, and we'll touch on it a little bit later. Um, you've got the opportunity to do what's called reality blogging where you can have a website that reflects what you're doing as you're bringing your homestead from the ground up. People love that stuff. And there are sites of this type that are bringing in a healthy, very healthy income when it's done right. Uh, just by journaling and documenting and talking about what you're doing and how your project's coming, the ups and the downs, because people like to know that you're not perfect for some reason. So. <laughs> Pardon? It's one of the terms. I'm not sure what you would find out there if you are uh, if you are searching for it. But in a little bit later on, I've got a resource that you'll want two resources that you'll definitely want to look at that that will give you some uh, good information. All right, who has websites and what kind of results are you getting from them? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Maybe I should say who has a website for their operation? All right. Are you getting the results you want? No. <laughs> You're not alone. This is really common. People will, um, I'll ask people and they'll say, yeah, I've got a website. And, and no, I'm not getting any traffic. I'm not getting any visitors. It's not doing me any good. 
And unfortunately, as you'll see, as the day wears on, you'll understand the days of, if you build it, they will come. Those days are long gone. And a website now is no longer a set it and forget it type of operation. It's no longer build it and walk away and go back out to the garden. It is like any other business, your website is now your marketing platform. It is something that you have to spend time or money or both in order to get results. And the, the challenge is, and we'll cover this also, is that you cannot, if you are dealing with a market of any kind, you cannot not have a website because, just because. <laughs> we'll go, and I'll go into a little more detail here in just a moment on that. Okay, I'm going to ask now so that you can be thinking about it. Down at the end of the class, if we have the time, I would like to go through a website live and look at it underneath the hood, so to speak, and kind of do a, a it's not going to be a real in-depth audit, but an audit of the site to give you an idea of what you would look, at, look for when you're looking at your own website. So if somebody is interested, let me know, and I will, at one of the breaks, and we'll, we'll uh, pull it up and get, get it ready to go. Doesn't have to be a gardening website, it could be anything. All right. For some reason, this slide gave me trouble. Classroom etiquette. Okay, you know, every, everybody's got their rules and, and everything. This one, it's pretty relaxed. If you do not understand a term, a word, or a concept that I use, please raise your hand, shout at me, throw things, whatever it takes to get my attention. Because I live this stuff every day, all day. This is my job. The first thing I do in the morning when I check into work is I pick up a book to read to try to catch up on, on or try to expand what I'm doing. I also read 14 newsletters every day, industry newsletters. I have meetings with staff that are, are focusing on their very specific areas. I'm just trying to stay abreast of the general knowledge. I have staff members that, that focus on a specialty, and then I have to meet with them to find out what's going on. I live and breathe this stuff every day, so I know that at least once today, I'm gonna to use a term that you don't know. Please do not walk out confused. Yes, ma'am. Yes, but I'm actually an employee of the Center for Online Evangelism. I also do some outside freelance work on my own. Uh, just because there's still a few hours of the day left. <laughs> but yes, I, I do work, and, and I work, uh, I've also got a contract with a business, a digital marketing agency, and I provide, I have content team that provides uh, content for them and, and other services. So I've got my world, I've got my foot in the world of business and the nonprofit world as well, and it, uh, I'm trying, always trying to adapt things that work in each, bring them across to the other side. So, ask questions. 
don't hesitate to ask. We've got a lot of information to cover and I'm going to try to take it slow enough and I'm going to try to remember to, to define words when we come across them. But again, wave your hands, whatever it takes. The, that is something when, when we get, I don't, I don't deal with that specifically. However, getting people to come and work on your farm as a volunteer is something that would probably fit into the content section. So as we're talking about types of content and how to engage with your site visitors, remind me. And mm -hmm. <laughs> that's good. That's what you, you need that. You need that. Okay. Why bother with, with online marketing? And I've already covered a couple of things, but I didn't tell you that 90% of all people research online. They go to Google before they call or visit a local business. Now this is specifically for local businesses. Do we want to take a break or do, are we okay for a little bit? Okay. 90%, they go straight to Google to look you up before they call you to ask a question. All right, that means that that website is your front door, whether you like it or not. Forget yellow pages, unless you are way out in the, the boonies where people have, still have yellow pages to use as a doorstop. That's not where people go anymore. Even out in the boonies, I live in the middle of Cherokee National Forest. Um, I have to have satellite internet because I, I don't have a, a landline coming in. Everybody is carrying one of these things. They want to know something. If they don't know Billy Joe that does the septic tank, they get online and they look up, look up who's doing septic in, in the area. So you have, this is why you have to have a website. People don't use the Yellow Pages anymore. Word of mouth and website are, are your two primary means as far as, as I have seen. All right, there's some misconceptions about online marketing that we need to cover. One of the biggest ones that I run into is that online marketing is somehow related to computer science. That if John Doe is good at computer programming or at building computers or managing computer networks or building spreadsheets or anything else like that, that he's automatically the guy to go to for online marketing. This is not so. Um, if you notice, as I was running through my experience, how many computer classes did I tell you about? None. My marketing is, my background is in marketing. And everything that I needed to know about technology, I picked up on my own. You do not need computer science degree to do this. In fact, if you have a computer science degree, I would say you are at a big disadvantage. If you want any degree to pursue for this type of work, marketing and communications is the way to go. This is not computer science. Another misconception, and, and it used to be this way, you could just set, build the website, set it and forget it, go off and plant your sweet potatoes and have fun in the dirt, and people would automatically, magically show up at your website. Taint so. Like any marketing, now you have to invest in it. And here's the, the 
part, and we'll cover a little bit more later on, but once you start working on your website, if you quit working on your website, you know what's going to happen to your position in the search results? It slides. And the more it slides, the faster it slides. Because Google will notice you've started working on your website. Google knows everything, by the way. Uh, and what it doesn't know, it just introduced machine language to learn. It can learn, it can learn on its own now. So. You constantly, this is not something, now constantly means different things for different scales of business. Um, just the, we'll, we'll talk about search engine optimization, so don't worry about the, the definition of that just yet. Just search engine optimization, depending on the size of the business, can run from 12 hours to 100 hours per week. Uh, the agency that I contract with, I would guess that they're working closer to the 100 man hours per week because they've got 15 people working on, on online marketing all the time. So it, the bigger the business, the more you have to work at it. Google looks at your site and says, aha, there's this new little farm that popped up. They've got a cool little website. They put on five pages yesterday. Hmm, and last week they put up three new pages, and the week before that they had two blog posts, and, and then next week you don't do anything. And Google says, well, maybe, they, maybe it's harvest season. Maybe it's, it's okay. The next week you don't do anything, and Google says, hmm, it's, maybe this site isn't relevant anymore. Maybe they've quit working. Maybe the farm got swallowed up by the last earthquake or hurricane or whatever. And... Google will start dropping your position in the search results. You've used Google. I, I have a whole section where I'll go into that, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a brief overview. When you do a search in Google, you've got a list of search results that pop up. That's not a static list. It's not the same every time. You could, do, you could go back and check it five minutes later and get a different set of results. <laughs> Good luck. And, and so it's very dynamic, and it changes constantly. That, where that, let's say you're looking for ABC plumbers, uh, or you're looking for a plumber, and ABC plumbers shows up as number three result. That's its position. It's also, we call it rank, and it's got several other vague terms that go along with it. If ABC plumbers quits doing any, of, any work with their website, the stuff that we'll be talking about today, in a couple of weeks, it's going to start, maybe it'll be at number five. Because XYZ plumbers got on the stick and did something that pushed them up higher in those search results. ABC plumbers keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. And pretty soon, they're on page two of the search results. And there's an old joke in our little world that says, Where's the best place to hide a dead body? On page two of Google search results, because nobody goes there. Like 87 to 90% of searches stop on page one. And the remaining number of searches are spread among all the other pages. You know, the 200, if you got 508 million results, you know, the first 10 get 87% of the traffic. And that's 
No, it's, it's more that when you get started on it, you need to stay somewhat consistent. And it doesn't mean that you have to say, I'm going to do this every day or this once a week, but you constantly need to be working on improving, uh, adding, engaging with people, and, and we'll cover some of those details in the next sections. But, but once you start, don't stop. Chinese math is a, is a common misconception in, in uh, online marketing, and I'll have to explain the term. This is from my old direct response mail order days. And the thinking goes something like this. I have a blue widget that I want to sell, and if I put it online, people in China will see my blue widget for sale. Let's see, there's 900 million, a billion Chinese people. And if, and I'm gonna be real conservative, I'm gonna say if only one-tenth of 1% 1 of those Chinese people buy my widget, I'll be rich. And it doesn't work that way. Um, you have to watch the thinking that there's millions and millions. You know, for example, there's 6.6 .6 billion searches on Google alone every single day. So Google processes 6.6 .6 billion searches worldwide every day. Don't get caught up in the math of thinking, well, if I can only get one-tenth of 1% 1 of all those 6.6 .6 billion searches every day, I'm gonna sell out all of my artichokes because it doesn't work. Quick results, this is a long-term game. Unless you put a lot of time and throw money at this in the form of paid advertising and so on. This is a long-term process. Given what most people are able to put into their websites, you're looking at probably a couple of years of steady work to reach full potential. That doesn't mean you're not going to get results. It just means full potential. Most of you, sounds like you're dealing with local type operations. You're very fortunate because competing with local competitors, you know, trying to, trying to get traffic to your website from people in your community is a lot easier than trying to get people to your website from around the world. And this is when I hear a lot, I don't need all that fancy stuff, I don't need all those bells and whistles, just, I just want a page to show where people come, where people can come to my farm or where they can call me. In some cases, you might be right, but in most cases, I'm going to say in today's online environment, that probably isn't going to work. I'm, and I'm, the only reason I'm qualifying this is because it's possible that there might be a scenario that I can't think of right at the moment that, that it might work. But when people look at websites, and when you, next time you're online and you're, you're looking at, you're doing a search and looking at the results and what you see, See if you're doing the same thing. People look at websites and they judge the quality of your business and the competence of the business operator by the website. It's not fair, it's not right, but this is how we do it. We look in, at the website and we say, hmm, I can't find anything. This is confusing. Where are they? Where's the map? Where's that phone number? I need to call them. I can't even find the phone number. Why bother? If they're going to be this bad at marketing, they're not even going to want to take my money. 
and you move on to result number two, you've got something like three to six seconds to capture, and it's shrinking constantly. Every time I, I look this number up, it's less than what, I, what the last presentation I gave. So it's constantly shrinking. You've just got seconds before the person hits. In fact, when, they, when a person goes to your website, their finger's on the back button, just looking for an excuse. And all it takes is a little twitch and they're gone. So you may not need a lot of fancy stuff on your website, but there are things that you must have because your visitors will judge you, you and your business by what they see. Any questions so far? It depends on who you talk to. I will give you the marketer's response. Test it. Anything that you do, you want to try like that, test it. But you have to have a baseline first, then add it, then test it, and see what happens to if you, you know, whatever action you were wanting to happen. Uh, in this case, do they leave the page anyway, or did you get a significant percentage who stayed? For if you, if you put an exit pop-up, for those of you that, that aren't familiar with this, if you may have noticed this, when the mouse moves towards the back button or moves towards the, the navigation bar at the top of the page, the software on the website senses that mouse movement, knows where it's going, knows that you're about to leave, and it'll pop up a page or a little image. We just call it a pop-up box. It says, are you sure you want to leave? And then it offers you the chance. Uh, and often you'll see this with video sales letters. You go up to leave the page and you'll say, are you sure? Would you rather read the sales letter rather than watching the video? Uh, and what Milton's talking about is uh, what would work here is a, or what would be, should be tested here is a little pop-up box that says, before you go, would you like to sign up for our newsletter and get updates on how to, how to have a home church? And in theory, what he would be looking for is more people signing up for his newsletter. And, and we'll talk about how to track and analyze all this stuff later on. But the, with any of this stuff, test it, because it doesn't matter what the industry does. And, and that's not uncommon either. And that's why I say test it, because in certain, for certain websites, it works. Yes, it annoys, some, it annoys a significant percentage of your visitors, but if, if a website is driven by sales, and, and Milton's is not driven by sales uh, as much, so this might not work for you very well. But if the bottom, if the bottom line is, buy my left-handed widget, if I sell 10 more widgets today because of that, I really don't care if you're unhappy or they don't care. You know, that's just kind of the, the thinking behind it because that dollar is the bottom line. It's the reason for the business's existence. I hate them personally. I, I, I just don't recommend them using, using them. But at the same time, the only way you know, and I'll, I'll, I've got another slide later on, you can almost all of the marketing oriented things like pop-up boxes and headlines and things like this, don't guess because 80% of the time you're going to be wrong. You have to test it. And 
those are the sites that I never ever go back to because if they're going to do that to me, I don't want to, I don't care how good their widgets are. When they, when they do that, that's the kind of site that could easily have a virus or malware of some kind uh, that you don't, because there's a lot of that that can be loaded through web pages. It's not just email that you can get viruses now. So, yeah, it's, it's an issue, and I don't recommend that you do anything that makes your visitors cranky, because especially if you are dealing with local uh, you know, your local community, if that's your market, don't make them cranky because they talk to other people. Don't ever go to that ABC Farms website because, man, they would never let me get out of there. <laughs> okay. Do we need to stand up and turn around and sit back down or we're good to go? Feel free to stand up for a minute. We got seven hours of this, so. <laughs> and I'm not going to kid myself that I'm so entertaining that you could sit there spellbound for that long. Let's look at an overview, and I'm not going to go into detail about each of these segments because we're going to, after I give you the overview, we're going to go into great detail. So when you are working on your website. Here's an overview of the process and, and kind of what needs to be going on, on your, in your head and on paper. Pre-development work. These are the decisions that you make, the, um, the stuff that you write, the things that you do, the things that you research, and so on, and I'll give you more details in just a minute. Very critical component. Research, decisions, planning, writing. Okay, the next step is building the website. And there are many, many subsets, steps in this. We're going to create a system and this is where, this is where you add content. This is where you optimize the site, make it as effective as possible. This is where you drive traffic to the website, you attract traffic to the website. And when I say traffic, I'm talking about visitors, people visiting your website. This is where you're engaging with the people who are visiting your website and you're capturing their names. It allows you to build a list, nurture it, and sell things to the list. And then you track and analyze results. Just like any system, you have to have some feedback. You need to track what's going on. You need to look at, your, at the numbers. You need to make decisions because everything that I'm telling you, it works until it doesn't. Or it works until Google changes the rules. Remember I told you that I, I read 14 newsletters, industry newsletters every morning? It's because Google changes things almost daily and sometimes twice a day. So you, and, and the thing is Google makes the rules. We have to play by Google's rules. If you want traffic from Google, you play by their rules. So tracking and analyzing is very important part of, of this. All right, more detail now. The pre-development work, I would say, is the most important part of working on a website. Now, if you've already got a website, don't worry. 
you can go back and start over. This is not a big deal. But this is the part that you must do unless you really enjoy going crazy trying to, to build the website and keep it going and stay consistent and so on. This is the work that if you make these decisions now, you don't have to make a new decision every three days or every time you sit down to work on your website or every time you hire somebody to work on your website. Because one of the options you're going to have is you're going to have an option to ask somebody else to work on your website, whether you pay them, whether they're an intern, whether they're a volunteer, for whatever whether it's a, one of your kids and you, you threaten to withhold their meals if they're not working. You know, you, if you do this work ahead of time, all of that becomes much easier. You have fewer decisions to make as, as it goes on. And don't worry about writing down every single one of these things that I'm going to go through now because, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll email the slides to you and you'll be able to, to uh, have it right there in front of you. One of the most important parts, especially if you're selling something, is this key marketing message platform. And this is something that I'm bringing from my copywriting experience. When I go to a business to work, to do copywriting work for them, one of the first things I ask is, do they have whatever it is that they call this document? I call it a key marketing message platform, um, a master copywriter's document, we call it sometimes. This is a document that contains your marketing philosophy and decisions for your site or your business. And it has a number of parts to it. And even if you already know these elements, you should go ahead and create this, this document, write it down, have it in front of you, because once you have it written down, I've discovered you can go back and refer to it, and it makes the job of creating content, writing pages for your website, writing, even things like brochures, anything that you're doing to market your business or your ministry is much easier when this work is done up front and written down for reference. It becomes a branding document. Um, it's a resource. You can maintain consistency. You can give this, this document to three different writers, and each of the writers will have a different voice, yes, but they will be able to stay consistent with your marketing message. And this is one of the most valuable things. This is why, why I, I picked it up in my copywriting experience, because companies that do this find that they have much fewer rewrites. Uh, you know, a copywriter will submit a, 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 an article or a web page. Partly. Let's look at the other parts of it, and, and it'll become more clear. This is going to seem a little odd because this is supposed to be an online marketing class. But remember I was saying this is about marketing more than it is technology. So one of the first things that you need to know is who is your specific target market? You can't just say everybody who lives in Podunk, Podunk Kentucky because not everybody in Podunk, Kentucky wants your artichokes or wants your newsletter on home churches. Um, you need to know specifically who you are targeting. If, if you look at some of the large brands, they, they often start with a very specific target market. Amazon started 
What'd they start with? You guys remember when Amazon got started? What were they, what were they selling? Books. Only books. They didn't sell anything else. And they were targeting a very specific group, and I don't know what, what their market was, except that I fell right into it. Um, I've probably spent more money on books from Amazon than I did in, in the lifetime before that. Uh, but they started with a very tight focus, books, and then they added, and then they added, and then they added, and, and every, every time they started adding another line of products or type of products, their market expanded. So you need to know specifically who is your target market? Who are you trying to reach with your website? Um, I don't have a slide on this, but I would recommend that you follow the same practice that most marketers do and create a persona or an avatar. Um, the avatar is, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's a term from the gaming world where you create a, an artificial, it's kind of a a front, I guess. It's it's you know the the guy can be he can be a player that's that's some big huge knight or something you know that's not really him. It, it, the avatar is a representation, the persona a representation. If I'm writing copy for somebody's website, I want to know as much about their their targeted reader as possible to the point that I will create a person with the name age, hobbies, occupation, income level. I will go on to Google, I'll do an image search on Google and I'll find a picture and I'll create that page and tack it up in front of me, in front of my computer so that I can write specifically to that person. Does it exclude others? It can. If you are targeting left-handed people, you're only going to be reaching about 15% of the population and right-handers are going to be feeling left out. But if you are, if you're selling left-handed widgets, you know, that's who you want to reach. So you'd better write to the left-handed people. So produce the same way. Not everybody's going to buy their produce from a farm, directly from the farm. Not everybody's going to to deal with a local, even the wholesaler type of operation. You've got to speak directly to their interests and their needs uh, in order to, to be effective. The voice that you use in your marketing. And what do I mean by voice? Are you going to be very formal and corporate sounding? Are you going to sound like a Tennessee farmer in your overalls, like my next door neighbor? Um, are you, going to, are you going to sound like a college graduate? Are you going to sound like an eighth grade graduate? You know, these are things that are very important because if you are speaking above somebody's level, it's not going to, they're, they're going to walk away from you. If you're speaking below their level, the same thing's going to happen. So is your voice going to be formal? Is it going to be casual? chatty, relaxed. Uh, every brand is different. And I would strongly recommend that as you're doing this, be yourself more than try to be artificial. Because if you're going to be artificial about it, it won't last. You're not going to be able to sustain it. Is it good also to put humor? Humor? Um, 
carefully because I struggle with this all the time in my writing. I have an odd sense of humor that just crops out and I can't help it. And so I, I'll write and write and write and then I go back and I try to take out most of the humor because people just, in writing, it just doesn't come across the way I had intended it to. And you'll find that, do it carefully and always, I would suggest, have some people in your target market read it or you know, look at it and say, yeah, that works, no, that doesn't work, or what in the world were you thinking? Yes, very, very much so. Um, there, are, there are areas, markets that you had better watch very carefully what you say and humor would not be appropriate at all. I, I wouldn't use humor in a wholesale operation. Uh, wholesale is, is out, you know, I tend to think of it as B2B, the business to business because wholesale is selling to a business, not to the person who's actually going to put it on their kitchen table. So the B2B market is very different in what they expect to read. They don't want the chatty, casual, um, funny, lighthearted kind of thing. They want a little, you can, you can be a little more casual. It doesn't have to be purely corporate, but they do want a little more professionalism from, from the marketing that they're reading. Here's how I would recommend handling it. It's awkward because if you don't do it right, group A finds the website that you had targeted to group B. It, there is some crossover that will happen and they'll say, boy, that's a weird place. It's not, not speaking to me at all. So hang on just a second now. Um, what I would recommend for that is two separate brands and it's an investment to create a second brand but I would go with a, a separate brand, a separate website domain name, a separate name for, you know, it's not impossible for you to have a, a farm. You've got 160 acres. Have your farm, the wholesale operation under one brand. Have your CSA under a separate brand, separate website, separate name. And you can mention on both websites that you know, on the wholesale website, you can talk about you've got a CSA. On the CSA website, you can talk about having a wholesale. So you got you to gotta separate them somewhat. Otherwise, it, it's, um, I guess what I'm saying is don't have two websites with the same branding because it's going to confuse people. I see it tr tried all the time, and it's very awkward because, um, just because it is. <laughs> you, People come and they see one area and then, or they see a, a, a set of choices. Well, I'm not interested in tree planting. What, but here you've got a website that's got, I have to now choose whether I want to go to tree planting or whether I want to go to, to cabbages. Um, why are you doing both of them? And, and if, I, if I'm looking for cabbages, but you've got stuff on your site about tree planting trees, I'm not too sure you know enough about cabbages to fit, fit what I'm looking for. So yeah, you've got, to have, you've got to have them separated. Community supported agriculture. Subscription gardening uh, is another term where, where the, a member of the community will pay the farm $100 a month and get 
gets a bag of groceries every week? No, because, well, I guess there's some similarities, but it, the farmer still does all the work. And, and typically what they do is, is they just say, here's what's in season. And you've, you're, your subscription is for two bags of groceries per week. And so I choose what you got based on what I've got in my garden. And uh, in some areas, it's very successful. In other areas, it's not. So, um, but it is, is something that has helped market gardeners particularly uh, survive you know, and even thrive in some places. So thank you for bringing that up because I made an assumption there that I shouldn't have. Okay. Explanation of the human value your product provides. And this one's one of those that's a little vague, a little hard to know for sure exactly what that means. For, for those of you that are doing food production, what's the value? Um, it's not just vegetables at a decent price. That's a feature. What's the, what's the real value to it? Uh, this, is a, this is a situation, maybe I should tell you, there's a, a marketing story that's used in, in almost every marketing class I've ever been in, too. But you guys, maybe you haven't heard it. I go to Home Depot, and I walk down the aisles until I get to the section where they have drill bits. And I'm looking on the rack there for a quarter-inch drill bit. When I choose that drill bit, did I really want a drill bit? Was I buying a drill bit? Strictly speaking, I guess you can argue that I was, but I, didn't, I wasn't buying a drill bit. I was buying a quarter-inch hole in something. The drill bit is the tool that I use. I want the hole. I want the hole in the wall, and it has to be a quarter-inch. So that's why I'm getting a quarter-inch drill bit. And it's a distinction that if you can wrap your head around it and, and apply it to your marketing, it will change the results that you're getting. People don't buy quarter-inch drill bits. They buy quarter-inch holes. What's the human value? Why are people buying your artichokes or your mandarin oranges? Why are people going to your ministry website? Okay, why, yeah, why, why would I buy them from you rather than going to Walmart? And then the next question, that's, that's the first level that you need to go to. And then you need to say, why? Why does that matter? And see, this is the point I'm saying about know your audience and know what value you provide to your audience because there are going to be people who want to go there and buy your mandarin oranges, oranges from you because they hate Walmart with a purple passion. Every, every person's going to have a slightly different reason for it. And, and that's as good a reason as, it, when it comes to consumer behavior, that's as good a reason as hating Walmart. But you need to, this is why you need to know your specific market and what motivates them, because if you don't know, you may be selling, we hate Walmart too, and you, your, your target market may be all Walmart employees. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a huge movement out there Family businesses, local, uh, getting, uh, the term escapes me at the moment, but there's a specific movement for eating local. 
buying food within a 25-mile radius of where one lives. And, and if, that, if you live in certain areas, <coughs> excuse me, like um, my guess would be Southern California would be a really good place for that, especially your upscale, uh, upscale restaurants, where any place where you have, and, and there's no way to say this without possibly offending somebody, so forgive me in advance. If you're in a community that does a lot of do-gooder type of, of types that, that want to save the earth, um, social justice, that that community is going to want to feel good about their purchase. So they're going to want to buy local. They're going to want to buy healthy, organic, non-GMO. Um, you're going to, there's going to be different reasons. You know, if, if I were to try to do, talk about non-GMO stuff uh, and organic and so on in my community, they would laugh at me because I live in a, it's not even a community, but my region is about as rednecky an area of Tennessee as you could possibly get. They don't care. These, these folks, I, we don't have any wild game in our area because it's all been poached and eaten. And that includes the possums. So if I were to talk about, you know, we were in the, the Family Nutrition Center in Cleburne, had lunch there yesterday. And there was a nice little display there that was very targeted to their audience. Heirloom Seeds, an heirloom seed company. And here was this display, why, why buy seeds, this brand of heirloom seeds? Well, they don't support GMO. They don't buy anything that's been touched by Monsanto. Uh, and they went through and listed about 10 different things. And, and it's great. It didn't touch anything that I, my, my reason for uh, buying heirloom seeds would be because I like the idea of saving seeds and not having to buy hybrids every season. And, you know, my reasons are a little bit different, but their reasons were very targeted to their audience. And you've got to do the same thing. Okay, so human value, to get back to my notes here before I get too far off the track. Human value. I would recommend that in, as you're putting this together that you create benefit-oriented headlines. Um, I, I have a section later on where we will talk about more about headlines because they're a critical part of a website. But benefits, not features. So what does that mean? I have a tomato that I'm trying to sell, and I call it organic, non-GMO. Are those features or benefits? Sometimes it happens, but in this case, no. These are features. Exactly. Did you guys get that? I'll repeat it because it needs to be on the recording. Those are features because they do not tell the results of what happens if you eat organic, non-GMO tomatoes. The benefits are the results. What do I get if I take your product, if I eat your product, if I buy your product, what does it do for me? Benefits. 
headlines, anytime you're trying to sell something to somebody, you need to include the features because people, there, are peop, there are a small percentage of the population, 20 to 25% at the most, that will buy based on features. They, don't, they just don't follow the benefits a whole lot. But the rest of us buy based on benefits and emotion. And, and this, I don't have this in here, but it, I'll just go on aside, that we buy almost every single buying decision that we make is emotional. It, we make it based on what we feel right here in our gut, and then we look for the logic to support it. And if you can understand that, you can sell almost anything that you want to sell, if you understand that. In the case of a farm operation, since we're here for an agriculture conference, do you think that there's, do most of you live in an area where your target, where your market is informed enough that you don't need to do any benefits-oriented stuff? Or do you think that you would benefit from educating those who are not informed and converting them over to your organic, non-GMO stuff? It depends. In some areas, you might have a market that you just can't, you can't meet the need. You don't need to expand. Or, I mean, you don't need to get more clients. You need to expand your growing capacity because you've got so many clients. Uh, most businesses don't have that advantage. And so, if you convert, and, and when we get into talking about content, we'll be getting into, into more of that. If you can educate and inform people, uh, they will see you as the expert, and they won't go to anybody else. And this is one of the big advantages of content marketing, which we'll get into. It establishes you as the authority. And they say, man, I've got to come get your mandarins because you know so much about them that I doubt anybody else in the world can grow them half as good as you do. People are funny. Okay, in your key marketing message platform, a description of how it works. And in, I'm going to use, in this case, the CSA program just because it's, it's the easiest example to call to mind. Say you've, you've educated somebody about the benefits of your subscription service. They're kind of sold on the benefits. Now they want to know, well, how does it work? Do I have to come pick the vegetables? Do I get to come pick the vegetables? Um, are you going to deliver them to me? Uh, do I have to pay for the whole year all at once? Or do, you know, all these questions. So your description of how it works, when you write it out clearly, and then have somebody take a look at it, uh, the first thing you do when you have somebody take a look at it, you're going to find that you missed about three, three things that you thought you already, <laughs> that are very important, but that uh, you see every day and, and just didn't think to include. But when you have that process written out, now you can hand it to your intern or your volunteer or a copywriter or somebody else and say, we need a, we need a page that talks about this. They can write it out very easily. It can be integrated into every other aspect of your website. 
question that we could debate all day because there's confer design conferences that talk about this whole thing. The question, in case you didn't hear it, was about page structure, whether you should have the page with all, just a long page of information. Contemporary web design, current web design, yes, they're doing that. But it's broken up in very specific ways. And if you'll remind me when we get into the design section, I'll talk more about that. Easy to read, easy to scan, uh, and Google has some things that they're looking for specifically too. So you have to write for Google as well as your, your um, visitor. And so there's, there's more detail that I want to go into in that in a minute. Yeah, and that's, that's done a lot. Another, another way it's done is you click on it and it expands and shows the answer. I don't recommend that uh, because I've got a mosquito here trying to get me. Um, because if you hide it unless it's un, until you click on the link and then it opens up, Google doesn't see that. It's hidden. So that's putting it down at the bottom of the page is a good way to, to make sure that Google sees it. All right, your description of how it works. Research. You need to research your market, facts, figures. These things are very important. Um, I was telling somebody yesterday that um, if you have an information product that you're selling to gardeners or any kind of product that you're selling to gardeners, it would be beneficial to know that about uh, 60, I think it's 60%, uh, I'll have to go back and double check for sure, but according to the most recent National Gardening Association survey, something like 60% of all gardeners, people who are involved in gardening regularly, have an income of $70,000 or higher. So that, what does that mean? It means that you can price, you can sell higher priced stuff to gardeners than you might have thought you could. Maybe you only know gardeners that are making $30,000 a year or less and they can't afford to buy your, your really nice potting soil. But the higher income uh, bracket does a lot more gardening than most of us are aware of. So you need these market, you need to research your market you need to know everything you possibly can find out about them because it's going to help you uh, determine your price points. It's going to help you determine what to grow. In many cases, you might find out that somebody, that you've got a, a market, an untapped market for microgreens and you may decide to cut down your mandarin grove and plant microgreens. Right? <laughs> it, it, there are things that, that when we make assumptions, we just, we don't have all the information. And so you need to, to have this, information included in your your marketing platform again i recommend you start with the national gardening association's uh, surveys their full surveys are a little pricey but they do have synopsis available uh, there's also some other market gardening associations that uh, provide annual reports industry type stuff Get familiar with those because uh, you're going to get insights about what is working for other people. And I'm a firm believer of not reinventing the wheel. I'd prefer to let other people learn the hard way and then let me 
learn from them because it's a, it's a great shortcut. Learning things the hard way is painful and I can, I can uh, vouch for that from my experience. Learn from other people as much as you can. And Google, Google is your friend for research. Learn how to use it. Uh, get in there and dig around. Sometimes the best information is down on page two, four, 10. So spend some time. Don't fall into the trap of just taking the first 10 results because those first 10 results, unfortunately, are not necessarily the 10 best results or precisely what you were looking for. It's not where those things are, are ranked, where the, the listings are positioned on that first page. All that is, well, there's a little bit about how relevant it is to your, to your search but really it's more about how good is their marketing department? How good is their search engine optimization? How good is their content marketing department? I found some of the best information. I always, when I'm researching, I always go down at least to page 10 because often the best information is down in there. And it just hasn't, you know, they, they don't do good search engine optimization. So their, their results don't come up very high in the results. So dig in there. You guys know what a USP is? This is marketing shorthand for unique selling proposition. Why should I buy from you and not your next door neighbor who's got the same product? What is it about you that makes you so unique? What do you do better than anybody else in your market space. Okay, that's one way to show how you are doing things. Um, one of the more famous copywriting examples, and I always get the company mixed up, so it's probably not all that important, but there was a beer company back years ago that was, I don't know, second, third, fourth in the marketplace. And a copywriter came in, they hired a copywriter to come in and, and try to help them improve their brand. He came in and toured their, their plant and he came back and he said, you guys are sitting on a gold mine. You know, because he's, he starts describing their process, how they keep everything clean and the, the wood that they use in their barrels and how the beer is aged and everything. And, so he's, and they say, yeah, but everybody's doing that. He said, but nobody's telling anybody. So he wrote this marketing campaign, all based on this process, how they did it. Everybody else was doing it, but he got there first and he captured the story and the brand shot to number one and it was many, many, many years before they were dethroned and another company came in. So if you can tell your story about how you do what you do and why it's important, that's, that's a very unique selling proposition. If you get there first, if somebody else is already talking about it in your market space, then you're gonna to have to find something else. Uh, you're gonna to have to talk about some aspect of your process that's better than your competitors. Um, you can, what makes you so unique? It might, be, um, it might be the nutritional content of what you're growing. It could be that you're faster it could be, uh, I was talking to um, 
what's his name, Lewis from Bella Farms. He's got a mandarin that ripens in February. He's got something that nobody in his area apparently has. So he's got a unique selling proposition. He's got a very sweet fruit that's ripe in February. So it doesn't have to sit in storage as long. And so, you know, you can take this and, and talk about, you know, you're going to have a fresher product later in the year than the competitors are going to be able to provide. A unique selling proposition. There's, we could spend eight hours building unique prop selling propositions, but um, there's plenty of information. In fact, on a lot of this stuff, I'm trying to give you just a deep enough introduction so that now you can go online and, and learn more about it because there is tons of information out there about these things. The next item in, in here is your emotional selling proposition. This goes back to a little bit to the human value element. Um, what emotion are you going to try to get me to feel? What emotion is going to make me buy your product? Are you going to trigger my hatred of Monsanto? And I'm going to buy everything that you sell because you hate Monsanto too? Um, are you going to trigger my desire to feed my son the absolute best food that's possible that's going to be preservative free and die free so that his ADD isn't triggered by what he eats? Emotional selling proposition. What, and, and you can have more than one. This is what you need, you have one unique selling proposition. You can have more than one emotional selling proposition. All right, any questions about those two? Say that again. You can have, you, you should only have one unique selling proposition. You can have more than one emotional selling proposition. This platform should include a product positioning statement. This is for internal use, something that your writers or whoever's working on your site can refer to. Um, there are things that, that as a writer, I would like to know about your product. And it may not, it may not be something that you need to tell the world, but if, if it helps me understand what you do, anything special about the product or so on. Um, and this, this positioning statement can be, it doesn't have to be real polished. It can just be a list of features uh, if you want. But it's a tool for somebody to use in developing content for the website. And then there's other brand elements that you should have. Tagline, uh, you know, the, you, does everybody know what a tagline is? It's usually three to five words. Uh, Allstate, what do you think of when you hear you're in good hands? Isn't that Allstate? You're in good hands with Allstate? You're too young. <laughs> These are, are three to five words that are tied very directly to your brand. And they, again, there's a whole raft of, of things that you can learn about how to create those three to five words 
it can take a good copywriter can take two or three days to come up with just the right set of words so uh, it's very important your logo brand colors you're going to need to have consistent colors throughout your website um, there's going to be a color scheme that you're going to be developing and so if you know if you have it listed in your marketing message platform that your colors are are a very specific earth tone green and brown with a, a pink you know you have a they call it a palette of colors that a designer will use that are complementary to each other if you have that information included in here anybody that comes and works on your website knows what colors to use you know usually you have two you have a primary color and a secondary color sometimes a third color and then there are some that you can use sparingly but they they tend to be part of a very specific palette out of the color wheel that you you know that are complementary it depends on there's you know there's color associations there's color you know blue is considered to be a corporate look a trusting you know it, it invokes trust red is it evokes anger and passion and so you know there's different colors that have different effects the um, Reich is a big online uh, uh, project management software their whole website is in done in grays so yes it can be the duller flatter earth earth tone types colors just fine you don't want it to be dis the big thing is you don't want it to be distracting you don't please 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 don't do a website in lavender pink and purple unless you're trying to get a certain uh, atmosphere across and even then I wouldn't recommend it but um, you know it needs to match your market and it needs to not be distracting do you have a question on the back row there and that's and it should be part of your you should have a graphic designer somebody that's got some training in this come up with a logo and and the brand elements because there are there are things like which font is used in your uh, you know stationary or in your your header of the website or on business cards um, you know you can look at at my business card and you can see we've got a we've got a very simple logo we've got a very specific font that we used here the color scheme here is taking the darker blue of the other uh, element of the logo you know we've got the darker blue and then we used it on the back side here and when somebody comes sees this card or this shirt you know you, you look here this this font is the same font that's used here uh, consistency across all of these brand elements and it's really important so that people recognize when they see anything yes and and another thing that you'll notice the big brands do um, like Procter and Gamble and some of these other large large uh, brands if they have a new product as far as I know do you guys you guys all know about Dawn detergent dish soap right is there a Dawn laundry soap I've never seen it. I've never seen one. 
I, I don't know if the same company makes the two, but you've got Tide laundry soap. You don't have Tide dish detergent. Every time a, one of these large brands comes up with a new product in a different segment, they have a different brand. And so you should consider that. If you have a wholesale operation and you have a CSA, you should have two different brands rather than trying to, to do both under the same brand. Okay, those are all elements that should be in your key marketing message platform. These should be easily available. They should, I'd, I'd recommend just printing them off, putting them in a three ring binder and keeping it on your desk. Anytime you have somebody work on the website, they should look at that first so that they can work within the parameters that you've given them. All right, everybody stretch your legs for a minute. And then I've got more marketing questions for you. And we're also going to get into what to do with your website. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.